0: Happy Easter, everybody. Happy Easter. Good to have you here. There's a quote from Tim Keller that I've, I've just always loved, and it's a good one to start out with this morning because uh, I think it, it, the, the quote itself sets kind of the tone for whether or not the next 25 minutes, let's be real, be about 30 minutes of me uh, preaching from, from God's Word here from First Corinthians 15 on, on the resurrection is, is actually worth your time. So, so here's what Keller once said. He said, if, if Jesus rose from the dead... Then you have to accept all that he said. But if he didn't rise from the dead, then why worry about any of what he said? He said the issue on which everything hangs is not whether or not you like his teaching, but whether or not he rose from the dead. So listen, I let's, let's just let's just get it all out in the open here. I understand that there are many reasons, many reasons why you're here this morning. So so Easter services uh, are are typically the the highly attended Sunday service in churches all across the country. We're we're no exception to that. And I I totally get that for some here in this room this morning or watching online, wherever you may be. uh, I understand there's a multitude of reasons for why you're here. Maybe you're here today because this is what you do on Easter Sunday. So, so you might be the, 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 the Christmas and Easter person, right? So, so kind of big, kind of Christian holidays, and this is where you find yourself, right? You go to church, and so this might just be today part of your, your yearly rhythm. But maybe for others, you're here today because, uh, because, because you're, you're kind people, meaning this, that maybe a friend, a coworker, a neighbor invited you, and so, and so you're being friendly and gracious and kind and accepting their invitation to come sit with them today, and so we're glad you're here today. For others, though, maybe it's because this is this is family get together time, right? So so all the family gets together on Easter, and so this is part of your family tradition, and so it's a time for you guys to get together and see every everyone. Maybe for others, though, they're here this morning, and and you're skeptical. You're skeptical, but maybe curious. So you, so you want to know more about Jesus. You're curious about the Christian faith, and so so you're here today. You're here. With, you're like I'm here with skepticism, but. But maybe, maybe an openness, at least, to at least hear or to maybe at least listen to what's, what's said and proclaimed today. For, for others, though, maybe you're here and you're just hurting. You're here today because you're suffering. Maybe it's been a, a difficult week. Maybe it's a, been an incredibly hard month. Maybe it's been a, a, a really hard year. Or you might be thinking, like, no, Matt, you don't understand. Like, it's been a hard life. It's been a hard life. And so today for you, it might be like, is, this is my, like, last my last attempt to find hope. Maybe, maybe here I can find some. Could, could life be different? And so, so I come here. I'm standing up here fully understanding that, that not only are there a multitude of reasons for why everyone's here this morning, but at the same time, uh, there's also, with that, this broad spectrum of, of belief systems in here as well. So let's acknowledge that as well this morning. And so again, for some, maybe the death and the resurrection of Jesus is the hope in which you stand. And, and so the songs that we've sung today, your man, arms raised, yes, I'm in. This is where my hope is. Like you are resting and believing in the and your right standing is, is in the cross and resurrection of Jesus. And so today is a day of celebration for you. And you're like, yes, Jesus, only Jesus. But but for others, maybe on the opposite side of that spectrum, maybe you're thinking right now, at best. <laughs> At best, you're thinking, yeah, Christianity is a myth. This is a myth. It's a fairy tale. And maybe it's like, this is a nice story you guys have put together here, but how could anybody in their reasonable mind, how could anybody, anybody, any reasonable person in their, in their right mind believe what you guys are talking about here? Or you might be thinking even more than that. You're like, no, th- this is a fraud. Right, so, so I come understanding that, that not only is there a broad spectrum of why everyone's here, but also understanding that there are differing beliefs and philosophies of life that are accumulated in this room this very morning. And so what I want to do as we get started here is to, can I at least try and get us down to a, at least all of us into a, a common denominator to begin? Can we, can we find a foundation, a footing to at least start with to bring us kind of all together, regardless of why you're here or what you believe. And so that is this. Can we at least all agree as human beings, can we at least at all uh, reason together that, that if Jesus has in fact risen from the dead, then that would be life-altering? Can we agree, can we agree there? Can we agree to that, that point right there, that if <clears throat> Jesus has risen from the dead, that would be life-changing? That would be life-changing. I'll give you that. Right so whether or not you believe in the resurrection or not can we start there start there because that's really <clears throat> that's really the matter at hand that's the core issue like like Keller said the issue is not whether we like what Jesus teaches it's it's whether or not Jesus rose from the dead and is alive today if he isn't then then you would be right to disregard all of christianity it, you would be right to say yeah it's a fraud Like, this is a fraud because the entire faith, everything the Christian faith stands upon, rests upon, is found in the resurrection of Jesus. But if he is alive, if he's alive, as the scriptures proclaim, if he has risen from the dead, then wouldn't we have to agree that that's life-changing, that we'd have to listen Because all of a sudden, all of a sudden, everything that Jesus has taught, everything Scripture does proclaim is true then. There is an eternal hope, a a real and confident hope. A hope that outlasts this world. That would would change the way that we view our own identity, who we are. That would change the way that we see creation, how we view the world. That, That would change how we view our neighbors, how we view suffering. That would change even how we view death itself, if he is Alive. That would be life-altering. And so the argument I'm proposing to you today from, from this text in 1 Corinthians 15 is that, as Paul says, there is nothing more important in your life, nothing more important in your life than how you respond to the death and resurrection of Jesus. Meaning this, that you, you have to do something with it. You have to do something with it. It, it can't be ignored. It's It's too massive of a proclamation. It's too massive of a statement to just be ignored or shrugged off because you really have two options before you with the death and resurrection of Jesus. Uh, One option is you you say, no, it's it's either a myth, or the other option is, no, it's true. There's no in-between there. He can't be kind of alive. He either is or isn't. So before you, though, cast it away as a myth, I just want to urge you, if that's you here this morning, to at least examine it first. Because the implications of you being wrong about the resurrection of Christ are just too important for you to ignore. See, because again, if Jesus has risen from, de- from the dead, then that changes everything. If Jesus is alive, then that would mean that there is a God who is holy. That would mean that there is such a thing as sin. And that sin fractures our relationship with God. If Jesus is alive, then that means we are all accountable to God and before God. And because of our depravity, because of our sin, that would mean if the resurrection is true, then we are rightfully deserving of his wrath and his judgment because of our sin, because of our rebellion, because of our idolatry, our blasphemy. If Jesus is alive, then that would mean then That Jesus and Jesus alone is the only substitute and sacrifice for our sins. That he is the only way to be reconciled and restored with our creator. That he is our only means of justification. If the resurrection is true, then everything else Jesus taught is going to be true. And so this morning, everything, listen, everything hinges on this one marvelous, majestic, glorious truth. It all hinges right here and right now on whether or not he's still in that grave. Because if he is, who cares what I have to say? Who cares about anything else Christianity has to say? It would mean absolutely nothing. And we would just heard for the Apostle Paul earlier, just a few moments ago, make a, that very statement, that very, uh, that very uh, statement right there when we read uh, verses 12 through 19 of chapter 15. And not only would Christianity be in vain or, or useless, but Paul actually says we're, we'd be fools. We're fools for having followed it if Jesus is still in the grave. But when we stood together and when we, when we read in unison verse 20, Do you remember what verse 20 started by saying? It said, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. And because this is true, because that's true, then that's very good news. And because that's true, that then has incredible and massive implications for our lives. In fact, I'd argue from Scripture that because of the uniqueness of Jesus' life his death, his resurrection, that no other philosophy, no other belief system in the world throughout human history has actually a leg to stand on or speak on with any kind of authority. Because every other philosophy, every other world religion out there, let's take the topic of death, our great opponent, right? The great enemy of humanity, death. Every other philosophy, every other world religion out there teaches, in, in essence, a way to either escape death or or to just delay it. And, and so it's all about kind of just pushing it aside, trying to escape the reality of it's still coming for all of us. But but see, Christianity is so unique. The life, death, resurrection of Jesus is so unique that that, that what Christianity does is it operates on the plane of humanity. Meaning this, that it operates in the plane of life and death. That God himself didn't stay distant from his creation, but God became man and came and suffered and died himself. He, he embraced the, the, the curse of sin. He came and lived as a human being that he himself suffered. He himself went to the grave. But Christianity doesn't teach just a way to delay death, to kind of push it down the road, to try and maybe just ignore it. Even even this kind of escapism, it, it didn't try to escape it. No, what Jesus did, says, no, I'm going to not have you escape it. I'm going to have you overcome it through me. Like, that's, that's what Christianity teaches. Not delaying it. No, I'm going to overcome it. I'm going to defeat it. It's the only reason Christianity stands above the rest of all other belief systems out there. It's the only one where God says, no, you can't come to me. I'm coming to you. And so like Paul does with this, this little Corinthian church here. On this Easter Sunday, I I just want to remind us this morning of the most important thing. The most important thing. If you're a skeptic, at, at least hear what Scripture has to say. And then ask yourself. Ask yourself, does this answer the deep questions of the soul? If you're a believer today, I want us to just simply be reminded today of the gospel's impact and hope in which it has brought you, and what it is continuing to bring forth in your life. You see, Paul begins this, with this little reminder in verse 1 where he says, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel that I preached to you. I remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you. I have two simple points this morning, nothing complex, nothing deep. And so you'll see this at the very first point. The, the very first point I have here from this text is the gospel is good news. It's good news. It's good news of a glorious event that has happened in history. See, Paul's writing to this church, reminding them of the death and resurrection of Christ. Much of this letter up to this point has been Paul addressing um, all kinds of other issues within this church. Like they were just kind of a mess. If you know anything about the Corinthian church, they were just kind of a mess. This is kind of didn't get anything really right. And so Paul's writing this, this long letter to kind of address all these, these issues. This, this church was getting distracted by all these, these kind of peripheral issues, secondary issues. Now, still important things, but, but what Paul's saying here is it's not the main thing. In fact, what was happening in this Corinthian church is they were neglecting the most important thing, the death and resurrection of Christ, the gospel itself, and that's because, and that's the reason why there were so many other issues among them that Paul had to address. So Paul, he addresses marriage and morality and sex and division. He he addresses in this letter the beauty of diversity within the church, all kinds of things, but he's coming now toward the end of this letter and he's wrapping it up with what he would say the most important thing, the most important thing. Verse 3 and 4, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Paul's quite simply saying to this, this struggling church, he's saying, guys, brothers, sisters in Corinth, re- remember what matters. Remember what matters. Remember, church, that your hope is found in the death and resurrection of Jesus. Remember, church, that your identity, who you are, is found in who God says you are. That you're a child of the king, you're a son, you're a daughter of God most high, you are loved, you're accepted, you're forgiven, you're free. This is, this is the implications of the gospel. This is why Paul's saying this is of what is most significant, most important, the first importance. The gospel is not something we must do to earn God's favor, to earn God's acceptance. Please hear that today. If this is your first time, first experience with with the Christian church, if you hear nothing else today, hear this, that the gospel is not something you must do to earn God's favor and acceptance. The gospel is about what God has done for you. It's not a set of moral codes or principles by which we live our life hoping maybe God will love me and accept us in the end if we're just good enough. It's what's been done for us on the cross The gospel is news of something so incredible, so magnificent, so unbelievable that it can't be ignored. It can't be shoved aside. It's something that we have to respond to, that Jesus died, that Jesus was raised, that your hope is in him and nothing else. He died because we've belittled a holy God. We've belittled his name. We've belittled God's glory. All of us, every single one of us, myself included, are guilty of that. Every single one. We were created for this relationship with God. We were created to bring praise and glory to this, to his name. And instead, what we have done, instead, what we have done is we've said, no, we want the glory. No, I want the glory. Like we have chosen to exalt what's been created rather than the creator. Right? This is the great blasphemy of the universe. And the holiness of God, because he's holy, God demands justice. And so God has responded to this belittlement, to this great blasphemy of the universe, right, in two ways. He's responded with, with hell, and he's responded with the death of his son. See, see, hell was created for those who would choose to bear the wrath of God for their sin, for their belittlement, for their blasphemy themselves, No human words of mine could ever clearly express the horror of hell. But the sending of Jesus, the second response to this blasphemy of God's name, to this idolatry, to this belittlement of God's name, was Jesus. Was Jesus who who went to the cross, who bore the wrath of God, who hung on that cross, bore the wrath of God for our sin because of our belittlement of God's glory, because Jesus went to that cross as he hung there, he took our place, he paid our debt, he was crushed for our sins so that through faith we would receive forgiveness and eternal life in him and no other. This is why, this is why the gospel is of first importance. It's why it matters. It's why we've got to respond to it. This is why Jesus died, to pay the price that we could not pay. But the death of Jesus would accomplish nothing without the resurrection. He, he was raised because without the resurrection, there's no, there's no justification This is what Paul says in another letter to another church in Rome, Romans 4.25, he says that Jesus was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification, meaning this, that, that the only reason we are declared right before God, and that's what justification is, it's a legal declaration or proclamation of innocence. And so the only reason our justification before God, that we can stand before our God as, as, as rebels, as idolaters, as, as glory-stealing rats, the only reason we can stand before a holy God and not be crushed is because Christ was crushed for us and because he was raised for our justification. So when God looks at us, to so the person who's in Christ, he doesn't see our sin, our belittlement any longer. He just sees Christ's righteousness, which covers us. The only reason that's possible because of Jesus' victory over humanity's greatest enemy, which is death. Death is our great opponent. We sang that this morning. Nobody escapes it. And Jesus' resurrection out of that grave was the final stomp upon its head, the final stomp upon all that sought to destroy God's good world, that death no longer, because of the resurrection, has the final say in our lives that through faith in Jesus' death and his resurrection, that Jesus now has the final word, and that word is forgiven. That's the gospel. This is the good news. This is the death and resurrection of, of Jesus. It's good because it's good news because it's, it's news of what's been done for you, not something that you do for God, because anything that we could do would be woefully insufficient. But, but he goes on here in this, this letter here. So he reminds them of the gospel I preached to you, in which you. And he says, which you received and which you stand and by which you are being saved. And he says, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. And so this just takes me to my, my second and last little point here. But that is that the gospel is central. The gospel is central. Just as the earth revolves around the sun, so should our lives revolve around the gospel, the death and resurrection of Jesus is the gravitational pull of our lives. It's the power of God for salvation. It's the lens by which we, we, we experience life. And so what's Paul saying here? He's saying that the, the gospel is something that you received. And so he's saying, he's acknowledging, Listen, this, is, this is something that you received. It's something that's taken place in your past. And so for those of us in this room this morning or watching online, if you are a believer in Jesus, there was a, a moment in your past when you responded to the death and resurrection of Jesus. And you responded in faith and repentance. You believed it. But, but yet, notice Paul's flow of thinking here in those first couple of verses. He says the, the gospel is something in which you now stand. He also says it's something by which you are being saved, meaning, meaning not only is the gospel part of the Christian's past, but it is the, the present reality of an ongoing presence in a Christian's life. So, so break that down very simply, meaning it just means this, that we never outgrow the gospel. We never outgrow the need for the death and resurrection of Jesus. We never move on to deeper things beyond Jesus' death and resurrection as if there is anything. It's central to our, our lives, it's our very core. And so for a person to think of, of, of the gospel or the death and resurrection of, of Christ as something um, only in their past that they, they they responded to at one point, they point to and say, okay, it's kind of fire insurance. It's something I'll hold on to, but now I've moved on from that. Now I'm all about morality and living against these, living according to these rules and, and moral uh, points, whatever it may be, like we never outgrow it. And so for the person to point to the gospel and say, it's just something that happened to me in, in my past, it misses the, the, the entire present reality and impact of it. The death and resurrection of Jesus. It misses the, the future promises of what the gospel um, ultimately brings about in our lives. And what I mean by that is that we don't simply respond to the death and resurrection of Christ and then move on to higher and loftier things like morality and good works. No, instead, it's the centrality of the gospel in our lives that bring those things about. So, so I don't forgive. I don't forgive others who have hurt or wounded me because, well, that's just what good people do. I forgive because I've been forgiven. That, that's, that's the gravitational pull of the death and resurrection of Christ. I forgive because I've been forgiven. I'm, I'm not gracious to others because I want people to like me or, or because I, I want to set myself up on a pedestal to look down upon those like, oh, I'm giving grace to you. No, I seek to be gracious because God's extended grace to me. As I look to the future, I, I, don't, I don't need to fear death because Death has been defeated on the cross. My my identity, who I am, is not found in what others think of me, but who I am in Christ. This is all that truly matters. Jesus is my justification. Jesus is my identity. This is the present, ongoing reality of the gospel in my life. This This is what the death and resurrection of Jesus brings about. This is why it is central to a believer's life. And if we're going to be honest, this is what should make the church so countercultural. This is what should make the church so transformative in its community. right? When it's, when it's filled with people who acknowledge their, their unworthiness, but filled with the people who love, not because they want to get something in return, but because Jesus' love compels them. What makes the church so countercultural is when it's filled with people who, who forgive because their desire is not because I need to be right. I need to make sure everyone knows I was right in this instant. But we, we forgive because we want to we model the forgiveness and the humility of Christ. What makes the church so counter-cultural is that because we don't fear death, we go to the hardest places on earth. We go with this message of redemption. That because God has so loved us, we love others, we love our community, we love those who are different from ourselves, we care for the hurting, we speak for the voiceless, we show mercy to those in need, we gladly give of our time and our money and our resources, our homes are open to all, we show compassion, we show hospitality, we're good neighbors, we speak with grace and kindness. All of this flows from lives centered on the death and resurrection of Jesus. God, help us when we fail. God, help us and forgive us when we fall short of this. Listen, I don't, I don't know everybody's story in here. I, I really don't. And, and like I said at the beginning this morning, there's, there's a lot of reason for why we're all here. And everyone's story or, or history in here is, is different. But I began by saying, can we at least, can we at least all agree that, that if the resurrection of Jesus happened, then that would be life-changing, However, from this point forward, it, it is on you for how you will respond to the death and resurrection. And, and if your struggle in this moment is like, okay, but man, you just don't know my past. If your struggle in this moment is, is feeling as though you don't deserve forgiveness, listen, we're all unworthy of God's grace. We're all unworthy. I'm the least deserving of everyone in this room. Least deserving. Paul said as much. In verse 9, he says, For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle. Paul understood his unworthiness. But what's he saying in verse 10? Let's this be a breath of fresh air to your soul. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. You know what goes, let's just be open and transparent. You know what goes through my mind most Sundays when I'm up here? You're such a hypocrite. Not, not you, me. Right? Yeah, yeah, but I'll speak for me. You're such a hypocrite. How can you stand up there and call people to do this? And you're not. You're not. Listen, I am broken. I'm unworthy on my own standing. If you guys knew that the sins I struggle with, the thoughts that sometimes go through my mind, you probably have struggled listening to me right now. I'm broken. I am unworthy on my own standing, but praise God for verse 10, I am what I am by the grace of God. It's the blood of Jesus that speaks for me. I have no other hope but Christ. The gospel, as one author put it, decenters unbelievers from the center of their own life. They recognize that they are what they are by grace. See, the gospel now becomes in our, our functional identity. Our identity is not in how we perform, but in Jesus' life. Which is why we can sing of the freedom we have in Christ. And we're free from that feeling of unworthiness. So, so Jesus' death means we no longer need to fear, fear punishment for our sin. Because it's been taken care of. We're free. His resurrection means we no longer need to fear death. It's been defeated. It's been stripped of its power and sting. He's our life, our identity. our He is our worth. He is our worthiness. My aim today was to simply say that the death and resurrection of Jesus demands a response. That was my aim. It's my goal. It demands a response. And so I'll just say two quick things as I I wrap up here. Number one, if if you're not a Christian, how will you respond? How do you respond to this? Ask yourself at at least this this one question. What are you looking to find meaning, purpose, fulfillment, eternal joy in your life? And you may answer that question with a lot of good things. But but ask a follow-up question. Will they, whatever that is, will it fully satisfy? Will Will it make whatever that thing is that you're looking to for hope, will it actually make sense of your life? Will it never disappoint you? Will it always be there for you? See, the invitation from Jesus is to come to him and be satisfied forever. And so if you're not a Christian, how do you respond to the death and resurrection of Jesus? Secondly, to the Christian here, how do you respond? See, the gospel propels us outward. It propels us outward. I mean, what's what Paul saying in response to God's grace in verse 10? What, what's he say toward the end here? He says, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. So, Paul didn't receive mercy. He didn't receive grace and forgiveness and then just kick his feet up and coast to the finish line. Now he's, I received grace upon grace, and he's like, I got to work. We have all of eternity to rest in the goodness and the sufficiency of Christ, but we have a season on this life, all right? a season of life on this earth to live on mission for the glory of God. And so, the question to you this morning, brothers and sisters, is how is the gospel? Propelling you to action? How is it propelling you to love and good works? Not good works to earn God's favor, but good works such as love and compassion and mercy in response to God's favor through Christ. Church, I'm tired. Tired of mediocrity. Tired of lukewarmness. Tired of chasing comfort. We're called to more. The passion of Jesus, his life, his death, his resurrection, his mission was anything but mediocre or lukewarm. Thank God his love and his passion for us was not lukewarm like so often our response is to him, like so often my response is to him. See, this is a day, this Easter Sunday is a day for all of us to respond in one way or another. For some, it's going to be the the response of repentance and faith. Turning to Jesus for the first time and finding life and salvation. But for for others, my prayer is that maybe it's a response of action, seeking to now live out what God has done in our lives for His glory and the joy of all people. So, do you believe this message of the gospel? If so, let's, let's go get to work. Let's see the kingdom of God built for His glory. Can we get outside these comfortable walls? to lovingly engage our community and the world with the hope of redemption? It's not rest. It's not rest until all nations come to worship the great King of kings who is alive. Let's pray. Father, help us. Help us, God, to respond to the gospel, to respond to the death and resurrection of Jesus. May today far be a day where we just come and it's an event we attend. God, forgive us if that's our mindset. God, the, the gospel propels us. It calls us to something. And it is not calling us to comfort. It is, it is not calling us to, 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 to peaceful life. It's, it's, it's calling us to pick up our cross, ourselves, and follow you. And so, Father, I pray you would help us, God, to to respond, whether it be through repentance and faith. And so, God, I want to pray for anyone who's hearing these, these feeble words of mine. God, I pray that the power of anything I've said is, is, was found in, in your word and, and uh, through the, the Spirit who's at work in our hearts and lives. But I pray for anybody here this morning who's listening that says, you know what? I've not responded through repentance and faith. I'm looking internally, I'm looking to myself, I'm looking to church attendance, I'm looking to my morality, I'm looking to everything else apart from Jesus for my right standing. And so my my prayer for them that in this moment, God, that they would turn in faith, that they would turn to you and just say, God, I acknowledge I'm broken, I'm sinful, I'm in need of grace, I can do nothing to earn favor with you, but I can receive all the favor through faith in your son. So God, I pray that on this Easter Sunday, you would save, that you would call people out of darkness into light. Father, I pray for the believer here this morning, that this would not be just another Sunday morning, but that the gospel would be so central in our lives that we respond to it by getting outside these walls and making much of Jesus, building the kingdom of God to show what it looks like to live under the right reign and good reign and rule of God. And so help us, God, to live on mission, to be open, to be generous. May the gospel so penetrate our heart and our soul that it just, it just seeps from us. And so, God, may you do a work that only you can do. And so may we recognize that the gospel is of first importance, is all that matters. May everything else flow from it. So, God, may we confess, repent where we need to. May we turn to you, and may we now sing and worship in response to the risen and resurrected Savior, who speaks the final word over our lives, and that is forgiven. Fill us with awe and worship. For your name we ask it. Amen.